0: So, does do the naysayers give mm-hmm. you um, bulletin board material? Does it fuel you in some way? It's a balance, right? Because you don't want them to
1: become um, the loudest voice in your head, and I think that's in any industry. Sure. No matter if you're, you know, doing sports or commentating or whatever. And so, um, there's a little fuel there. There's a little fuel there of, okay, watch me. I'm going to stay quiet, let my horse do the talking,
0: and um, let him go prove it out. All right. That was trainer Jenna Antonucci, who became the first female trainer to win the Belmont Stakes in June with her horse, Archangelo. She was about to watch Archangelo race again in his next big race, hadn't raced since the Travers Stakes up in Saratoga. And guess what? Archangelo did it again. Arcangelo Archangelo has opened up a three length lead, it's Archangelo and Disarm 1 2. Archangelo, another Travers for Javier Castellano. Congratulations, Jenna Antonucci. What a training job. Hey everybody, welcome into this episode of Lunch with Lindsay. So I am just so inspired by Jenna Antonucci and her story, and I have gotten to know her over the past few months, ever since I watched her win the Belmont Stakes. I literally watched it on the screen, and I said, I have got to talk to her. I wanna know her story, I wanna know how she's done it. And here's what I'm excited for you to know, is the way that she has proven herself, and is still proving herself in a man's world, but also, as a horse trainer, her attention to detail, her method of training, how that's a little bit different from some other trainers, but also the way that Jenna connects with the horses that she loves so much. It is so clear that there are so many things that she thinks that are important in her job that are also so relatable to all of us in everyday life just as humans, as people, as friends, as people that connect with one another on a daily basis. So I can't wait for you to watch this conversation. Jenna met me up in Saratoga to talk ahead of the Travers. Uh, She talked about family, she talked a lot about friendship, and she certainly talked about what it was like trying to prove yourself around the highest stakes. So we're overlooking the paddock here at Saratoga. What does this space symbolize to you?
1: Saratoga, for me, is just so much history. You know, Saratoga racing is older than baseball. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that, and all that has come through these grounds, and the historicness of what Saratoga stands for, it's so Americana in that regard. So that's, that's what I feel and see here, is just like the grounds talking of the amazing people and the amazing horses that have been here is just mm-hmm. if, you know, if the trees could talk, the stories that they could tell
0: would just be, you know, you would just sit there in awe and listen to them. So what stories are, are the ones that like pique your interest the most? What types of stories around this sport?
1: I think that the horse being such the unifier mm-hmm. of bringing people together and watching so many people of great personality you know, from, from movie stars to the everyday guy or gal, you know, it's just being able to hear so many walks of life talk about the same she, thing. Jen is
0: laughing because she knows I have a bee phobia. We're working through it. This is We're called immersive therapy. <laughs> immersive therapy.
1: Immersive <laughs> Are you releasing
0: bees? <laughs> I told you, we'll be fine. It's fine. Just keep no, going. It'll be fine. They just want to
1: say hi with a little whisper, see?
0: Oh, and he'll leave. dear God. And now he's going <laughs> to climb
1: inside. <laughs> he'll be back. He'll leave. He wants this. If I you told see you this him on really, me, just tell me. He wants that. Immersive therapy. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you therapy sweating. <laughs> I will. <laughs> this is a great icebreaker.
1: Okay. Keep going. Um, just to be able to listen to, and I think in my time in doing this, it's really wild to sit and listen to people that can be, and you know, doctorates, NBAs, just, or an athlete, and talk with, like, the foreman, or a groom, or just a casual fan, and they have just this wild connection of just through the
0: horse. And everything else disappears when it becomes about the horse and about the sport. You're saying, like, the different, there's not... It's the great equalizer. Yeah. No hierarchy, per se. No. No. diversity that comes into play as an issue, right? Everyone in that moment, everything else melts away. And it's about how the horse looks, how they're training,
1: how they're gonna race. Like everyone becomes passionate about the horse. And I think horses emote people. And I think it's why people become so impassioned about it because they make you feel. And so when you watch you know, the likes of that in the paddock, just to sit back, and I love observing people, whether it's at a boat ramp on the weekend, and that's always, whoa, some people shouldn't, (laughs) you can't drive backwards with a trailer, you shouldn't be driving forwards, but you know, watching people try and back a boat down a ramp and to hear of watching people have that common thread of the horse and just watching that is just, it's, it's, it's really special, it really is. What were you like as a kid? So that's an interesting question. Um, I've always been a bit of a loner. Um, and in my own space, I always got along with everybody. I never believed in the clicks. I thought those were ridiculous and exhausting. Um, wasn't the cheerleader girl mm-hmm. by any means. I was very much the an athlete, jock, jockette, rode horses. So. Um, wasn't the weird kid by you know any means, but my parents really always drove into my head. You know, education is very important, and so I was very blessed to be, go to good schools growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and bad grades wasn't an option. The first the first conversation of grades weren't right were no riding, and so it was a very good obviously motivator um, to make sure that you stayed on point. Um, when I turned sixteen, it was like, well, do you want a car or a horse? And I'm like a horse, because if I get the car, I may not get the horse, but you're going to get tired of driving me. (laughs) So let's (laughs) do a horse first and then we'll back into a car. And that's, that's (laughs) where, Oh my gosh. So what was that horse? Um, she was a, a, actually a thoroughbred retired. And I had had a horse previous to that, but, um, and this was later as, you know, when I was again, 16 and she was a, um, I like rescued her out of, and I hate the word rescue, but she, was through, she was like out in a field and she was a thoroughbred and retrained her and made her a show horse and yeah. Bella, her name was Bella More. beautiful love.
0: So is that when you, where was that along your journey of really wanting to be around, work with, even compete with horses?
1: I was 16, so I mean, I'd started when I was about three Mm -hmm. um, and I had a lot of different riding exposure and horse exposure, you know, through all of that, but um, I think it was just part of being a teenager and my parents always knew where I was, because I was at the barn. But parents were divorced, so if I was at my dad's, was at the barn. If I was at my mom's, you know, when can we get to the barn kind of thing. And so um, that group of girls that I was able to be around through so much of my childhood and into, you know, my adolescent years, it's, you know, I didn't, I moved a lot as a kid, so I didn't have like the one hometown friend that you've had for life. But my hometown friends came from that world. And that's crazy yeah. now to look back because there were times, you know, where you you're trying to find your identity in life a little bit of yeah. who am I and what is this? And, you know, I didn't have those roots, those hometown roots somewhere. And so looking back now and being able to have those friendships, you know, 40 years later, yeah. that was my home and my hometown. And so you don't realize that until you get older.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: Then you look back and it's like, oh, wow, that's really kind of cool. OK, so those are my people. And so that's been um, probably the biggest constant for my life um, throughout. But, you know, I think that the biggest thing through childhood was handling um, adversities and a single mom. And so and my, my parents were young and so raised by you know young parents. She was doing the best that she could you know, in that kind of capacity. And so she's working and I spent, you know, a lot of time alone in my space, not in a bad way. It just was our circumstance and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And um, I went to live with my dad full time when I was 15, turning 16. And so that was a huge pivot, but I just wanted more structure. Um, and it was something that I knew I wanted, which was wild. Okay. How do you know that at 15 years old that I want to, you know, sit at the dinner table with the family thing. And so moving to my dad's. Yeah. Wow. Moving so you to, moved from where to where? I moved from my it? dad's to my mom's, or which? Sorry, my mom's to my dad's in South Florida. Okay, and um, and he had he was wow. remarried for quite some time, and I had a younger half sister and whatnot. So it was just that I was seeking that family unit at that point in my life, and so I think if anything, I've always had the ability to look out and back in, mm-hmm. in a weird way, mm-hmm. of just and how or why I have no idea. Like it just, whoever, thank you for looking out for me. Um, and so that was an interesting transition. And my stepmom was very, very tough on me and in good ways and wanted me to be more girly and we're gonna put pink in your room, we're gonna this. And I was like, can we go purple? Can we find a compromise here on this? He goes, You're gonna go to the debutante ball. I'm like, no, that one I'm not doing. There's my hard line on you here. So. Those kinds of things, but oh, um, you know, but I all the exposures and stuff that she taught, you know, that weren't my mom's skill set, that were more her skill set. You know, it was a great balance for me. Wow! In, in that transition, and, um, and how
0: then, yeah. then was the relationship with your mom at that point? My mom like.
1: and I actually didn't speak then for like almost the next five years yeah wow yeah i don't have a great reason of why or what i think it was just me needing to find my legs and in my space it wasn't anything contentious it was just i i was ready to i needed to do something different um you know just not having that more structure that i think i just needed um it just was the right time in my life yeah, and I went to a Catholic high school then at that point. And actually that was one of the one of the big reasons I did move the school that I was in was an excellent academic school, college preparatory, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't fit. It was very not me. Mm-hmm. Education was phenomenal. But I came back one summer. This was classic. This, was very, this, this absolutely defines it. And one of the girls that I had a couple years had been there with, she was like,
0: Oh my god your nose looks great who did it
1: (laughs) i was like what i think it was like ninth grade i was like what do you mean well you got a nose job i'm like oh no 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 i did not but thanks for that and so like that was just that was that vein, And that was just so like not your me. icing on the cake. Yeah, it was like, yeah,
0: who says that? Tough.
1: That's a lot. So um, I ended up transferring um, my sophomore year to um, St. Thomas Aquinas, which is a huge uh, producer of football players. Yes. Um, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, in South Florida, In South Florida. Absolutely. Yeah. And Coach Smith was the director of, of athletics then still and did all of the uh, uh, head, oh, yeah. head coach for when the When I team. covered the Dolphins, that yeah. was a feed, like a yeah. huge feed. Um, and so, you know, back in the 90s it was still, you know, very much a powerhouse in the sports and that vein of just, I loved the sports aspect of it and just having, that was just more my vibe. Um, I played sports at the school prior, but it was you know, very private and just a different mm-hmm. vibe. So that was one of the big things. My mom was very much against me tra- transferring schools.
0: And so uh, my dad was let me transfer to go to st thomas there's something about i think um, when you just get you just know that it's not a fit whatever mm-hmm. it is if it's a school if it's a job if it's mm-hmm. what have you mm-hmm. right and you feel that and you know that but mm-hmm. it's also not perceived as the thing you should be doing i think that's a lesson that the younger people can get that the better off right like listening to that maybe it's gut maybe yeah. it's intuition and i think I for
1: me like i wasn't taking a step back in education. Um, you know, I was, take, I was still at a very quality education school. It was just the time I was still playing sports in high school as well as riding. And so to have the opportunity to kind of go up the next level, I ended up doing like stats or whatever for the football team and this and that. Like That's I just cool. I just really, it was That's just my vibe a little bit more. Yeah. And so it worked for me. And then um, my stepmom actually ended up passing away between my junior and senior year in high school. And so you learn a lot about life mm-hmm. <laughs> when you have such a huge shift and a family unit. And so sometimes, you know, your biggest adversities and things of growth happen through life experiences. And so I think that has offered a huge perspective on life as I've gotten older, where sometimes some of the things that people think are so important, you're like, okay, you yeah, go ahead and do that. Because <laughs> that's not really that big or that important when, sure. when you deal with real stuff. So I think in, in learning that so early, Offers you a different perspective on things and what trauma that brings to a childhood um, at such a young age—a loss, um, like a significant, yeah, right, yeah—and you have to learn how to deal. And so, um, I will give my stepmom a ton of credit. She was very much about you know going to talk to somebody, and you know we would term it mental health now, mm-hmm. but but back then it's like you're going to talk to a, a shrink or this or that. You know, it was so such a taboo thing. Yeah. But when I moved from my mom to my dad's, um, that was something that she actually very much, con- you know, was s- such supportive and like just and I and I actually wanted to be able to go talk to somebody and be like, I just want to make sure I'm like tied on straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen a lot of things growing up and this and that. I just I want to make sure that I'm OK. And um, I'll never forget one of the main questions she the, the counselor asked me was, well, when you have a problem, who do you go talk to? And I was like, "What do you mean?" And she's like, "Well, who do you go talk to?" I'm like, "I just deal with it." And she, I remember the look on her face. And obviously, I was 15 years old. She's like, "That's not like the norm." Like, she didn't say it wasn't normal. She's was like, "But usually, people go yeah. and talk to somebody to resolve a problem or whatever." And I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> like I just.
0: Figure it out. So you just like internalize ca- yep.
1: it, roll it and just sort through it and figure it out. And so that's been a skill set I think that's been there my entire life. And obviously I think helps and what I've chosen to do for my occupation now is you're just constantly problem solving and triaging everything. You know, worst mm-hmm. case, best case, how, what, and you know, and all the rest. So wow. Yeah,
0: there you go. So
1: <laughs> there's some stuff for you. There's some. how
0: how about them that education of horses? Right. So what what happened next when, you know, you after after you're in high school, you're a teenager, mm-hmm. what got you to the next step towards this journey of where you are now?
1: My um, the farm that I was riding for at the time in high school, um, they were high level competition barn. And they were based out of South Florida, and through the summers they travel, um, and so literally <laughs> grad night. Grad night's a big thing in Florida. You know, you go to Disney and do all that stuff, right? So you know, like high school. High school. Yeah, you're oh. like senior grad night. So that's amazing. We drove my my truck like up my and left place. it at the. Um, the rest plaza on the turnpike <laughs> got it cleared with the school okay <laughs> that as after grad night when we were driving back to south florida at whatever time of the night it was yeah we were stopping at that rest stop i was getting off the bus and that rest stop was closest to the horse show <laughs> and i drove there to the horse show in the morning to go show um, and literally the day after graduation we were loading up in the semis and driving up
0: the east coast to go horse show all summer So you, right, so you organized that, you got it all set up. That's amazing. And then at what point did you end up pivoting to, okay, I want to actually be a trainer? I think it was a progressive thing. Um, You said it wouldn't let you go when I first talked to you about it. Do you remember that? Like it just kept coming back. There's been
1: three different, like, where I've walked, you know, I worked for a large home builder um, for several years doing Doing. permitting for, became the youngest permitting manager that they had in South Florida. Permitting new home construction and like wow. large, large home construction, so communities and communities. And I loved it. I loved building and, and all of that. And then um, I got married and lived some of that life, and that didn't end successfully. It's a good marriage, just didn't end successfully. It happens. Um, and then started riding and training for show horse stuff. Nothing of the racing and bringing those horses along and transition to a really nice show barn. Um, I've been in my early twenties at that point, mid twenties, early twenties. Okay. And, um, they would be leaving Wellington and be going to the Hamptons for the summer, just the normal circuit of show land and phenomenal horses, phenomenal people, phenomenal clients. And I was hacking horses one day, you know, just given their exercise and whatnot. And I was like, this just isn't real. Like I'm doing what I love, Yeah. but it's like, it just felt empty. And I was like, this isn't my vein. Like, I love this, but this is like, I don't feel fulfilled doing this. And so I told them, you know, cause I was asked to continue on with this that I would love to, it'd be an absolutely amazing opportunity, but um, no, <laughs> this isn't my, this yeah. isn't for me. And um, and I had grown up riding in South Florida and doing all those horse shows. Like all that was very much, very easy for me. And so I, um, pivoted to a farm in Orlando, ran that farm, started teaching a lot of kids how to ride and doing all that. And um, was retraining a lot of thoroughbreds to be show horses, because we were getting them out of Ocala, because it's only about yeah. an hour and a half away. Yeah. And so I would go up to Ocala, get some horses to that we were going to be transitioning to their next careers. And my grandparents were involved in racing from about the time I was 10 um, until about the year 2000, 2001. And, um, I'd gone up to the farm to go visit where some of their horses were, and I was curious in how horses were developed. The, they call it the breaking and training process. And so I wanted to know how and why so that I could bring it back to the show horses and do it better. Why, okay. when I kick this horse, it does this? Why, when I ask this, it does that? What, what am I missing in all of this, of how can I do this, this part better? So really just being hungry um, and wanting to have that sort of about the knowledge. communication, like
0: was it like you want to know how? I want to know w-
1: what's making them tick. What's yeah. the what's the base work that we are putting in these horses, so that I'm not having to decode it three yeah. or four years later. Yeah, and I just got bit. I got bit by the bug. I loved how fast they learned, um, the speed, the athleticism. I always knew that thoroughbreds are really smart and very versatile, but watching them through the initial process was fascinating to me and then knowing that whatever we were working on we were creating that for that horse's lifetime the better job that we did starting them set them off on their trajectory for the rest of their life no matter if they became successful racehorses or successful pasture ornaments it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't matter and so that was very compelling for me to learn that process and to be exposed to those kind of horses and it was you know very high-end horses and just that process of what it looked like um Wayne Lucas's training program it was his training program that I got to work under at the farm he had moved his training operation out of California to Florida and so having that opportunity to be exposed to his program and was he around frequently he would come in and check horses and whatnot of who was going where and and whatnot but you know it was just working underneath that structure and that attention to detail and how and what um, Wow. It worked for me, you know. I have a very analytical brain, and I love business side of things and how all those things tick. And so, being able to go through all of that at that level was like, oh, that's interesting. And um, again, I got married. Um, my my ex husband um, was a phenomenal veterinarian, and that's what thrust me into the veterinary world for four and a half years oh, wow. of just having. I always say it was like a master's degree and in veterinary world. And I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity where um, just seeing it, living it, everything about our life was about it. So from reproductive work all the way through, you know, the sw- sports medicine and lameness side of it. And so it really started that footprint of me going on the train later on. Um, yeah. But that was also
0: via- But you didn't um, know at the time. I didn't know. Like-
1: yeah, I didn't know. I mean, it was just, it's where our life ended up at that time. and. Um, having that exposure to to those kinds of horses and you know all of that work of learning and learning and learning it was you you don't know you know there was a a really great um when i was in catholic high school not to go backwards on you but we would do retreats and encounters and Mm -hmm. it's very common in the catholic high school and
0: environment. And so we would do these weekend encounters, by the way, the name of my favorite boutique in Saratoga. Oh, fantastic. So that might come. In right well,
1: noted. <laughs> we'll remember that. We'll remember that. Sure. But we would do these weekend encounters and I became a leader in the campus ministry, you know, part of things. And there was, we were talking one night and there was a, a priest speaking in and this and that. And I, said, and, I, and I remember being like, God, everything is so, you don't know where you're going and da da da, And you're 17, 18 years old. You're kids. Yeah. And he's like, and, and I'm paraphrasing him but he's like, you know, life is a chain link fence. And at the time when you're staring at it here, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you look back and there's this beautiful pattern that's behind you that you have created all along the way. And obviously it stuck with me, you know, 40 plus years later, but it was very, very true. And so to go through life's challenges and hurdles and, you know, adversities, it may look like an absolute shit show at the time, excuse my language, but, Then later on you're like, that's what that was for. Okay, that's what that was for. Okay, now I get it. And so to have gone through these personal relationships while I'm developing work depth um, that's gonna carry through the latter part of my life now is I'm immensely grateful for those experiences and those exposures and being a student of observation and watching all these programs. So when I started my own business, I was doing reproductive work. Folding mares, raising young horses, preparing them for sales rings. And so, you know, I had absorbed all of that knowledge from all the farms we were able to go to and how and what people did. I'm like, Oh, that works. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, that makes sense. And just, it just stored. And so that kept coming forward and coming forward. And then I was missing the competitive, I love the farm stuff and I love the baby stuff and the yeah. moms and making sure we get those kiddos out alive and they're healthy and thriving and imprinting them, you know, from second one of their lives is so amazing. Yeah. But I missed, I missed the competition. You know, yeah. I missed that. Absolutely. I understand that drive. And so, um, I started rehabilitating and fixing horses that were at the track. Sending them back to trainers, and then you follow them and how their careers are, and I would get frustrated. That horse is fine. Why can't they figure it out? And blah, you know, and probably being a little bit
0: ignorant and young and sure. But I, I firmly believe we're just meant to be naive for a span of time because if we're not, yeah. you don't do the things that you, you aren't do brave enough. That time. Right? Absolutely, you aren't brave enough. There are things that I've done that I look back. I'm like, I can't believe I made that phone call. <laughs> I can't believe I I said those words to that executive because yeah. I thought I right yeah. like.
1: But you full send sometimes, yeah. and sometimes it lands, <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. 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 No. Noted. Okay. So, we'll so do that yeah. Again. So keep going. So, but um and so when you train show horses, you don't have to have a trainer's license. It's just that world is different. There's no pari wagering. There's no yep. betting that goes on. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go train race horses. Why not? And um, I then learned I had to have a trainer's license <laughs> and all of that. So I went and did all of that and took my test and how long did that take? Is it- not very. Good. I mean, once I got the appointment set, it was, you know, Funny enough, there isn't like a book to read of like how you become a horse trainer and here's everything you need to study. That doesn't, that doesn't exist for good reason because we have plenty of idiots anyway, So we definitely don't need to be put, putting a book in front of non-horse people and going, you can go train now. But um, so I was a little petrified going in because I'm like, well, I, I mean, I, I'm a horsewoman. I've done this since I was three years old. Like, what is this going to be? And My biggest struggle was because I didn't come from the racing side, the, the part of the testing that was very race specific had to really slow down and make sure it was understanding this oh, and that yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. But um, the, the stewards, every racetrack has stewards and their job is to basically police racing, mm-hmm. what happens in the afternoon and the mornings and whatnot. And um, they're the ones who pass or fail you. So I can read and write, thankfully, my parents in their education, thank you. Yep. Um, I passed the test and they were like, we're gonna pass you, because they wanna know, well, who were you an assistant for? Who did you do this for? Where were you doing this, blah, blah, like that was all there. And I was like, well, that's weird. I'm like, I've been on in, in, in the farm in Ocala. Like, I run my own business. This is what I do. We're going to pass you. Just don't effing embarrass us. And I was like, wow. wow. OK, man of authority. No problem. Thanks for that. Vote of confidence. Wow. But that was very much the culture of it. And it, in his opinion, I'm sure he was being like sarcastic and a little bit lighthearted, but also like, listen, girly, Toe the toe here, you yeah. know. Yeah, I don't have a reason to fail you, but geez, you know, we don't know anything about you. That makes us uncomfortable, you
0: know. Right. That was, that was a
1: him issue, not a me issue at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so off, off we um, naively marched, and I started running horses at Tampa, and um, we did find the winter circle quickly, which was the best and worst than it could have happened, because then that was 2010. Yeah. Yep. Because then my March next... is when you first mm-hmm. won, right? My next call then was to um, Saratoga. Hey, can I get some stalls for the summer? <laughs> you know, and it was like, I had winners and I had the horses that I had, had spots they fit here. And so I got stalls up here and my grandparents had been up here. My grandmother lived here full time at the time. And so it was just easy from a family perspective to have that in place. And I marched my happy butt up here with my first group of horses and got my ass absolutely handed to me. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. You want to talk about testing your constitution, like really? Oh, because it's just, you know, you go out in the big leagues. You know, mm-hmm. it's like taking that double
0: A player and going, okay, go play. Would you say that was like the toughest lesson that you've had along the way? No. Okay. No. I think um, it
1: it it will test your constitution. It will test how serious are you about this. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm almost certain on this. My first win. Um, and that I, I, I went winless the first summer here. Um, we shipped back downstate to Belmont. And my first win in New York was with a maiden filly. So a filly that hadn't won yet. She had started. She had run second up here in a stake race. Wow. And it was one of Tom Durkin's best calls because she paid. She was like 100 to 1, you know, obviously. It was hilarious. Um, and she beat some nice horses. And um,
0: that was my... Uh, That was my first one in New York. Wow. Yep, it's crazy. So the Belmont. So when you think back to that final stretch, what goes through your mind now when you think about it?
1: It was such relief. Really? It was such um, relief of all of the people that don't have the courage to tell you to your face what they really think or really feel about you or And again these are all their issues and their thoughts and so i'm very careful um and as i've gotten older really clearly understanding that um the no's that people give you are often don't have anything to do with you it's where they are and so um people a lot of people ask oh it must be so much more pressure now it's so much more this and so much more that i'm like no actually it was um you know there's that last 50 yards or so where no one's coming by him where mm-hmm. you're like holy crap this is like happening and that 50 yards literally felt like the longest stretch of time in my life because you're like, just wire, come on. There's certain races where the wire can't come fast enough and certain races where you're like, wait, don't come yet. My horse is coming. So in that moment, it was a, um, it couldn't come fast enough at that point because you're there and it was like, finally, okay, we did this. Like this happened. And just the first thought was just being so happy for the team and just so like, you guys did this, like, you know john believed in this horse from day one and he believed in the girl and he believed in, in our team and so that was like the whole oh, 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 in that moment and you know we've we've jokingly talked about now and how like when i looked over to one side fiona my assistant who's very irish and very strong and um i look over at her and she's i'm expecting to see her like you know yeah! and she's bawling and I'm like, oh, oh crap, oh. you're not supposed to be crying right now. <laughs> and then, like, I look to my other side and my fiancé's standing there. I'm expecting him to be like, yeah, okay. and I look over at him and he's bawling. And I'm like, oh, crap, the two people that I expected to be like, the oh! rocks, they're like, waterworks. And I'm like, I got to get together. I got to get together. Oh, crap. And so it was literally in that moment that, you know, you just kind of pulled in. And, and I think in that moment, taking... Some of what, you know, you've learned about me here in the hardest of times mm-hmm. is you just, you know, you just transformer a little bit and just whoosh, pivot. Got this. Okay. Game on. Cause we've won this race now, but now I know, cause there was already a camera up my nostrils the whole time, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. now I know there's gonna be a microphone coming, not far behind it. I've watched enough of these things to know how this is going to pivot pretty quickly here. And, um, And it was just shifting modes in that point. And um, you enjoy that for the second, but you've got more business to handle at that point. You know, I'm watching my horse gallop out, making sure he's okay and everyone's well and good and how he's coming back. And they usually do the interview with the jockey. So, and they do that also to give time so all the horses can get, you know, unsaddled and go back. So all these things are playing in the background of my head, understanding what's going on, but also having to stay super, super present in that moment to handle our business. And so um, the, the immediateness of it, though, was just it was such a huge relief of. Um, this the little girl can do it.
0: Mm. What did Fiona say to the horse before? Because I heard you say that you watched her talking to that horse before the I race. Think all of
1: Is us had, way? you know, our own little moments. Um, I just appreciate, um, the relationship that the horse gives us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like when you ask the question, like I get the flashback of being able to go hang out in the stall with him when he's sleeping or laying down and, you know, us having our personal moment. And when Mm -hmm. Fiona was able to have her personal moments. And so everyone's had their time with the horse to be able to lean in and you know tell him the fly's gone or Thank the fly the bee. Um, just to be able to have that personal moment with him of you know letting him know that you believe in him. So full
0: disclosure, um what'd you say Saratoga? It's not it's not Saratoga if there aren't bees. Yeah it's the same so They're to working ad- hard. They're working hard. We had to adjust our lunch situation and now they're having some lunch. Yes. Um, but it's safe. Um okay so how is it that you no, I'm gonna back up when you have moments with um, any horse, but Archangelo specifically, when Mm -hmm. you do that, whether, like you said, like if if he's laying down sleeping, Mm -hmm. how do you know that he hears and knows? You feel it, you feel it. And it's,
1: um, you have to let yourself be vulnerable and slow down. So, you and I have talked about this before, about biorhythms Mm -hmm. and every being has biorhythms and it's, Humans tend to be a little more with some being faster than others on the biorhythms of human beings. Whales tend to be the slowest. So if you're thinking of like frequency lines mm-hmm. and horses somewhere fall somewhere in the middle. So if you come at a horse and you're humming, that horse can be like, whoa, because they don't use words, they feel everything that's around them. And so um, the biggest thing that you can do going into a barn is just, Take that breath that we talked about earlier today, where you come in, you, you see the horse yeah. take those breaths and just bring it down a level. Turn your volume down. And when you turn your volume down, you hear their volume. Because they don't turn theirs up, they're, they're constant, which is why they're amazing for therapy, for veterans and for children and for the handicapped because they're so constant. But if you're yelling at them through your energy, you won't hear them. And so when you go and take those personal private moments with a horse and you can just step back in your space and let them their space come to you it's it's very warm um, you can it, literally it's palpable like you can feel it and that is is um, when you touch them and, and you can just feel them and it's just really just again like for me like before we train him right now especially, when we're on the track waiting to go train, I'll you know usually just put my hand on him for a minute and just, I just want to feel him for a minute and see where he is in a space and that he's not, you know, boom, 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 that the heart rate's not just coming through. And, and Robert can feel, they can feel their heart rate right underneath the saddle and stuff too. And so it's just feeling that horse in that moment and in their space and if they're vibrating, okay, why are you vibrating right now? What's going on that you're not where you should be. So it's a, it's a gift. I've said that forever that they give that to us. and.
0: If you're aware enough in your space to slow down enough,' it's, it's pretty amazing. Wow. How much of a gift do you think it is for you to be able to like understand that though, right? Like why do you do that so well? Yeah,
1: see, I don't know. And that's what's crazy. Like I thought everyone could do it, right? Like when I came to the racetrack I was training and, and how I see a horse trainer how, I see them move and, and what I see of them ignorantly. Well, you're training horses, clearly you see it too. Wrong, <laughs> that's not the case as I've come to learn. And so I don't know, I guess, you know, if you believe in God and believe in bigger things that if that's the gift that's been given to me, mm-hmm. um, it's taken me a long time to be okay in that space and know that I'm not gonna get it right every time. But when we do get it right, it's so right. Um, and so it's, it's, um, it's a gift. It's it's an amazing gift, and I'm very appreciative to be able to
0: experience it in any capacity. I uh, I found it really interesting when okay, so right after the Belmont and after the win in that first interview, after you got the camera up your nose and Tom Rinaldi is coming yeah, at yeah, you, and yeah. and you said your um you know now legendary quote about if you don't have a seat at the table, make your own table. Mm-hmm. And when you were telling your story, I was thinking, how wild is it that? your story from your childhood mm-hmm. is about being at a family table mm-hmm. and that's part of what you wanted, about your craving always to be, you're a loner, you say, but being around people as part of a team. That's really interesting. I think I've, you know, you you learn so much as you get
1: older, at least I try to, and um, as much as I can be an extrovert about things, I've learned that I'm really more of an introvert that can do the extrovert thing but I think because of my energy's sensitivity to people and horses and things, it's something I've had to learn to manage better as I've gotten older. Because I can go into the room and enjoy everybody, but I am depleted afterwards, where I'm like, whew, <laughs> I'm <laughs> exhausted. <laughs> it's not just because I'm sleep deprived, but it's You're just. You're feeling everything. I feel people feel are... I feel all mm. of it. I can. It's and a it's, classic
0: empath. Yeah. Sitch.
1: Totally. And so it's um, something that I've had to learn to manage better as an adult, and understand it better so that I'm a better version of me. Mm -hmm. And and with being a better version of me, I'm a better version to the people that are closest to me. Um, And so I think that's been a a huge um, growth factor for me through it all. And, you know, Tom asking that was, you know, people like, oh, did you have that written down? uh, No, I'm not that smart. (laughs) I can be smart, so but I'm not that smart, and it was literally the cleanest version of um, F.U. that I could come up with in that moment. And that's honest to God's truth, where it was, you know, so many tables that you yearn to be part of because you feel you deserved it and you've worked your butt off for it and you were worthy to be there and to have that voice when people wanted to make you invisible and make you go away. and. I think sometimes people um, let those voices become their voice. And again, by whatever strength of whoever's had my back, um, I just refuse to let those voices be my voice. And it's not saying I did it right every day. I mean, there was plenty of days where, how am I gonna get out of bed today and go do this? And whether it was, you know, Get into the barn or whatever or challenges and adversities mm-hmm. were running a business and pay- paying the bills and paying the employees and making all of those real life things happen. Um it just in that moment, it was just like, you know what? We freaking did this. Mm-hmm. We built this. We weren't given the big fancy horse that was supposed to go do it. We weren't given the the, the red carpet of, you know, entitlement. We earned it and we busted our ass for it. And so in that moment, it was just like, you know, building out the things we'd been building from, you know, horseology back at the farm to the racing side of, you know, I was really close to just being completely done with racing and just doing only all the farm stuff and sending horses back out to trainers and this and that. And you know, Manny and I um, had talked a lot about that and it was just, and then this happened and you're like, Oh, okay, well that's different now, but you know, and why, real quick, why were you c- so close. close to doing that? Um, you know, it's what do you, you know, you trying to find? We've talked about life work balance. Yeah. How do you find it? What does it look like to you? Um, when are you spinning your wheels type thing? Yeah. Like, what am I? You know, for me, we're supposed to win races, but winning races doesn't move the needle in life. We're not curing anything. We're not fixing anything. It's it's part of our occupation. But that's why I think I've always leaned into the relationships around me and the people around me. Because at the end of the day, when we're pushing daisies up instead of looking at them, how you have impacted people around you, I think, is the biggest gift you can leave. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, not chasing the finish wire anymore was very real. Um, being able to be home more and to spend, you know, more time with my grandmother and. Manny's kids and in our life. And it was just finding that balance of, you know, what is most important on all of this. And so, um, the quote was that of, um, you know, we did this as a team and we made this happen organically, literally organically from one guy that believed in the team of girls that had been through enough of garbage through the industry of not getting the answers he wanted to hear and see and him having the constitution to not sell. yeah, Not sell and yeah. not sell. And just the other day at a charity thing, I had an agent come up to me. I'm the guy that called you. You made me look really smart. You know, I knew that horse was a good horse, but huh, if it's funny, it would have gone to him if had I bought it. And I was like, you don't hear it, do you? You still don't hear it. Wow. And I was like, I looked at him and went, Okay. Like, what do you say in that moment? Right? Yeah. And so I just, that's where the quote came from. It was just the, you know, we built the table, um, with the right people that fit us Mm -hmm. and it, um, everyone was able to shine and grow. And then we hope that everyone continues to do that. And my commitment has always been to the horses, whatever horses I steward and have the opportunity to touch, to do the absolute best job that we can with what we're given. And, we might not always get it perfectly right, but if we carry forward that intention with every horse,
0: that's the best that I can do in my capacity. What would you say to young women, any youngster really, about mm-hmm. how do you build the table? Like, how did you do it? Um, stubbornly,
1: <laughs> super stubbornly. And um, I think some of it's feel um, and gut and um, not. You know like any relationship personal or business you can't expect one person to fill everything that you need in your life right you don't expect craig to check every box for you for you Mm -hmm. to find your ultimate happiness and i don't expect that of manny and so the same thing works over into work life so fiona has all the things that she contributes katie has all the things that she contribute i have all the things that i contribute back and It's understanding that um, as you're building this out, you don't have to like every single thing that that person does, but as long as they're contributing with a like-minded goal and a like-minded philosophy, be uncomfortable with how they might get there because you might learn something from them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not how I would do it and that's okay. Yeah, That's how she does it or he does it and that works for them for this many reasons. And so it's, you know, it's one thing that I've always bragged on with Fiona. She's a strong woman. She has, you know, her center, you're going to hear her opinion. You don't have to like it. And that's completely fine. And that's how you grow and you learn to say, "Mm, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with this. And here's my why. And so that's how we've built, built our little people and our little table and our little thing that we do is by being okay to be different and be wrong. And, um, accept faults and be willing to run to the sidelines sometimes before you can go to the end zone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ends. There's a lot of sideline running <laughs> <You>
0: know, <laughs> a little a shuttle analogy. pass for,
1: you know, a couple of yards here, That's where you get the best story sometimes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you find that, like having to be really honest is something that also that you've, that has helped you in that? Cause when I hear you talking, I'm like, yeah, that means having hard conversations with people mm-hmm. and saying, not being rude, not being mean, but just yeah. like you said, I like this. I don't like that. Or is it um, I don't even think about it. Yeah, because I think it was just coming. Maybe be
1: respectful of how someone needs to hear the message. But um, I think it's harder to not have the conversation. It doesn't go away. Right. That's very true. You still got to deal with the it. You can put as much sugar on it as you want. You might get some bees, but <laughs> um, you still have to deal with you still have to deal with the with the it. And so, you know, I don't remember where I heard it, but it was like that three seconds of awkward uncomfortableness, just deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then what? Then you're like, oh God, I made a really big deal out of that. That was stupid. And it's past you and it's done by, but not dealing with it, that little molehill all of a sudden has become this huge thing and then yeah. you lose proportion. And I think for me, if there's a disagreement about something, it's staying focused on what the it is that the disagreement is about? I think you know personal yeah. life and business, but it's, it's so
0: easy to spin off. Yeah, Melvin always says it's, it's never just really about the thing. There's usually things, right, or something deeper that you're like, okay, yeah. right. But stay deal with it. Yeah, stay
1: focused on what you came into the conversation with. If there's something else, let's deal with that. But what is the thing that we're mm-hmm. started this conversation, and then let's resolve that and then move to whatever the else is. So that's just a philosophy, I think I just try and practice and live by. Not always successfully.
0: (laughs) How interested are you in evolving the sport? How much is that on your radar? My shovel's little. Um, (laughs) I've
1: I've had a pretty good work ethic. I can only dig so fast though. I think everyone has to pick up their own shovel. It's a it's a phenomenal sport, and I very clearly understand how and why we are where we are,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and it's not because men have been making decisions. I'll say it with a a, a wink and a nod. Um, As an as a society, we have shifted away from um, land and soil, you know, and have become more techie and in our phones and um, so i think people understand nature less and um, have lost the understanding of the relationship humans have with horses Mm -hmm. and the why i mean since the beginning of time we humans have had no relationship with any other animal like they have with a horse from medieval times through war and, and beyond. And so I, I very clearly respect and understand the people that wanna be way over here and it'll never be their thing and that's fine, but they don't need it to expect it to not be our thing. Cause there's a whole lot of people in the middle that love the sport and love the horse and understand there's inherent risks that come with it but understanding that we are stewarding and evolving as fast as we can to ensure the best outcomes as often as possible will
0: continue to be our focus and my focus. And that's all we can do. What do you think is the best move forward that's happened that you're most happy about
1: in um, that vein?
0: You know, I people love and hate HISA,
1: which is mm-hmm. the um, you know, our, our law now and it's you know federally passed it's it's a both sides of the aisle legislation that now is the law of the land and i liken it to um, nba nascar pga Um, and we've talked about this also previously where now we have the same rules in every state and so when golfers go from state to state to state they have the same rules the same parent company the same mm-hmm. governing body governing body right every golf course has their profits and puts on the show just like we do with with racing and same with NASCAR I mean you could speak to that way better than I can but everyone's running with the same restrictor plates everyone's running the same tires everyone's running with the same specs because it wasn't that way at one time and then all of a sudden you're going from track to track and it's like what's going on here and so um, same with the NFL. So I think there's opportunity within the sport for everyone to make their piece of profit. But having HISA in place is, is giving us the footprint of rules and anti-doping and medication reform and all of those buzz topics that the media has been very flagrant with and sen- sensationalizing headlines. And they're sensationalizing headlines at the expense of the hardworking people that dedicate their lives to this. But they don't see that. And I respect that they don't see it because they don't wanna slow down a minute to come and understand it. Oh, horse racing should just be done. Well, why? Oh, because horses die. Are you gonna go drive tomorrow? You are. Do you realize over 40,000 people die every year driving a car? 40,000 plus people die, you're driving a car. Yeah. So the auto industry is getting better, doing more safety, doing more this, doing more that. But they're not running to the auto manufacturer saying, stop making cars because you're killing people. And they, well, it's different. Why is it different? Thank you for appreciating the horse. You've never been on the backside. You've never ridden a horse. You've never touched one. You're behind your keyboard telling us that we shouldn't do this. Who has empowered you to tell us we're wrong? Do you have a cat? Do you have a dog? Don't ever let it die. It better live forever. If not, you are negligent and you are inhumane. And that's the miss. And people are always gonna get impassioned about their position and horses Mm -hmm. make people emote, pets make people emote. And that's a gift to have that relationship with another being in that way. But it's allowing Heisa to do what Heisa does, letting them be the authority, letting that squeeze the nefarious actors out, which it's doing. It's not gonna happen in a minute, but it is closing the gap. And in doing so is allowing the me's to win those races.
0: And from your perspective as someone who deeply can, for lack of a better term, communicate, so to speak, with them what do you see as the why? What is it about what they love to do? It's so cliche with the, oh, horses are, you know, born to
1: run. If, if you're watching a herd of wild horses, if they're not grazing, they typically aren't walking to the next spot, right? They graze, and then you see the videos, everything goes running somewhere, Right. right? And what happens to a horse that gets injured in the wild? You don't have to answer but that's it, that's it. Right? They will become part of the food chain. Mm-hmm. And so no one wants to see anything suffer or not be handled appropriately. And sometimes the hardest decisions in stewarding these lives is knowing the when, because they're a complicated, fragile animal that when they get sick, things go south faster than you can even imagine. And you can't tell them to go lay in bed for three months and heal. And so it's understanding the complexity of who they are. But, you know, horses, again, going back to the beginning of human evolution, have been part of our journey. And there's no reason for them not to be part of our journey moving forward,
0: especially if we're stewarding things the best possible way that we can. What is your favorite time/ slash moment at the barns or the track or doing you know what it is you do
1: in the afternoon um, feed time um, night time like when it's the quietest mm-hmm. it's really cool to walk down the shed row and feel them in their space and them chill and you know doing doing their thing um, you know they mostly love being in their houses and in their stalls you know, we get a lot of flack for um, Oh, they're in their stall twenty-three hours a day. Bah, bah, you know the barking. Do you understand the why? Well, before you grumble at me, do you understand the why? I appreciate your perspective that they should be running in a green meadow and that, like, okay, coming back to reality, because sometimes it's not all about yeah. you know Snow White and the dwarfs and you know the fairyland that we have been painted in life, but. Horses, the race horses especially, have such a high caloric burn when they're exercising and doing. Um, It's very different from when they're out in the wild. So they go out and burn 30,000 plus calories doing their job and breezing and racing. They need that time to recoup, rest, eat, and do all of those things to carry on, carry good weight, carry good flesh, and, and to be athletes. We are dealing with the highest level athletes are you going to tell an NFL player, take today off. Don't worry about training. Mm-hmm. Just go hang out on the couch. It's not going to happen. Right. He's going to get injured because he's novelty. going to be soft. He's not going to be tight. He's not going to be ready. He's not going to be sharp. And so these horses have better health care. I mean, if we need an x-ray, literally, like the vet's at the barn, x-ray's taken. You have it immediately. Good luck getting that in human medicine. You know, yeah. We'll give you results in three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know? That's, I know it's not right. No, you're fine. <laughs> and so you know, from that point of view and stewarding, you know the best possible environments for them but it's it's most fun to um to walk through the barn during their quiet time and, and watch them in
0: their space and have them all peaceful
1: yeah and they'll be snarky or you know a baby will be a baby and an older grumpy one might be an older
0: grumpy one but it's fun to to watch them in that space do you have like a secret not secret but a goal that is just something there? Like what what would be next if you could choose something for you and your team to enjoy? Um, This is going to sound boring.
1: Um, I want to stay in the moment, continuing to treat people right and stewarding those relationships. The horses are going to do what they're going to do. And so I find you have to be very careful in life about how you set goals. And there's been there's a Val Victorian that did a great speech a few years ago about I think he was a swimmer or something and he had like wanted a big meet and this and that he had all of his life he had aimed for that and then he won it now what now what and so it's it's very for me um, being very careful about that because setting a goal can be very limiting what's past that goal and so. Committing. The goal for me is always to commit to treating people well on your journey, being mindful of who's around you and keep aspiring for great things or that would be cool to do or that would be neat to do. And, you know, did I ever think I would see the silks of my horse in the infield at Belmont hanging under, you know, the gazebo? No. But did I ever think, oh, that would be really cool? Yeah. You know, and not watching what other people accomplish going, God, I wish I could do that gee, I wish I could do that. Because you may be limiting yourself on that person's accomplishment where yours might be so much bigger. And so I think being mindful and present of doing things the best way you possibly can, you're going to mess up along the way. It's like, okay, that was a bad mistake. Let me push this forward again. And um, just trying to live with the best intention to do right by those around you and let, let the good stuff happen that's meant to be. Can't control everything. (laughs) You stop trying to control everything, really good things happen. That's when the good stuff happens. That's what people And that's hard, right? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. You know, and it's so it's um, you know, the the mama bear and all of us, whether you have children or not, Mm -hmm. want to protect everything and make everything perfect and and whatnot and um, just lead with the right
0: intention. That's my goal. I did not even know half of that story before I sat down to have that conversation with Jenna. And the other thing is the bees were real. So I'm still working on that. But as I think through what Jenna has taught me, I wanted to share that she also kind of put me to work. She let me tag along with her um, to show me behind the scenes what it was like in the morning. Um, at a racetrack as she's getting ready to work out the horses. So go check that out on my YouTube because that was so eye-opening. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe and listen to all the other episodes that are up there. I would love to hear your thoughts on what you want to hear more of. And of course, you can get the audio version of this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. So thanks to Family Made for the partnership and thanks to Pete for shooting this. All right, I'll see you next time.